Hey friend, Graham Baldwin here with The Speaker Lab. Hey, wouldn't it be nice if someone gave you the exact process to find and book more speaking gigs in 2024? That'd be nice, right? Well, I'll tell you what, we're just gonna do that for you. We've created a new 18-page guide based on Dan Irvin's process that helped him actually book over $100,000 in speaking gigs in the past year. Now, Dan is one of our uh, team members here. He's this, a very successful speaker and also one of our coaches. And so you're gonna learn how to get started prospecting, master discovery calls, proposal emails, and so much more. All you got to do is go to thespeakerlab.com slash steps. Again, that's plural, thespeakerlab.com slash steps. We're going to send you that PDF guide right to your inbox. Again, that is thespeakerlab.com slash steps. That's it. That's all you got to do. Go there. Hey, thanks for listening. We appreciate it. You're awesome. What is up, my friend? Welcome back to the Speaker Lab Podcast. My name is Graham Baldwin. Good to have you here with us today. We are on episode 72, and today we're going to be talking about a subject and topic that I know many of you love to talk about. It's something that you get so geeked out and excited about. It's the necessary evil of taxes. Dun, dun, dun. I feel like we should have some type of like dramatic music there because oh, taxes suck, but they are part of business and you really, really, really got to pay attention to your taxes. And so today we've got my personal CPA, my personal accountant, and both the business and personal side. Josh Bowerly is going to be talking with us today. Now we did uh, back in episode 33, I talked a little bit about taxes, kind of how I run things. And then also in episode 38, we talked about business structure differences between sole proprietorships, LLCs, S-Corps, all of that stuff. But again, I'm just kind of at those episodes, those again, episodes 33 and 38, those are kind of my experience and just kind of talking through my thoughts on it. But today we've got an actual tax expert in the house. No disclaimer needed from me that I am not a tax professional. So again, we're going to uh, get into it today with Josh again here on episode 72. Hey, before we get into that, let me quickly remind you, again, if you haven't already registered, you can stop by freespeakerworkshop.com. As you may know, on a regular basis, we host these online free trainings teaching you all about how to find and book speaking engagements, knowing how much to charge, whether or not you should speak for free, and just how to start and grow your speaking business. And so that, again, is just a freespeakerworkshop.com. Freespeakerworkshop.com is where you can register for that, and we would love to have you come hang out with us sometime time soon. All right. Without uh, further ado, let's get into it. Here's my conversation, my chit-chat chatteroo with my buddy, Josh Bowerly. Enjoy. What's up, my friends? Grant Baldwin here. Welcome back to the Speaker Lab podcast. Today, we are joined by my buddy, Josh Bowerly. Josh is a CPA and tax wizard. So we're going to be getting into all of that today of talking about taxes, talking about deductions, talking about tax entities or business entities, and should you be a sole proprietor and LLC and all that jet, all the stuff that like we're supposed to know, but none of us really have a clue on Josh actually knows something about. So Josh, what's up, man? Welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. All right. First of all, give us a nutshell of your business, kind of what you do, and maybe even a snapshot of, of how you got into it. Yeah. So I've been an accountant for, gosh, close to 10 years now. I've uh, been a CPA for about, I think, five or six years now and worked all over the place, Fortune 500 companies, CPA firms, financial advising. Finally realized I just hated being an employee and started my own business, JVB Business Solutions at the time. And we kind of structured it to work entirely with entrepreneurs, especially small business owners. Because when I was at those CPA firms, I saw that those are the people that, that kind of got screwed over by CPA firms, a lot of CPA firms, because they're not paying $50,000 a year fees to them. So they get the college intern doing their tax return and are still paying $2,000 a year for it. Yeah. So when I started my own thing, that's who I wanted to target. I wanted to give them service that was affordable and still good quality service so they didn't have to go to a chain 
tax shop and still pay crazy fees for it. And early on, I started working with John Lee Dumas of Entrepreneur on Fire and got exposed to his audience. And soon we started working almost entirely with online entrepreneurs or location-independent entrepreneurs. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of where we're at now, working entirely with them. But kind of worked so closely with John that we actually changed our name to CPA on Fire to align with that and, I guess, take advantage of that branding. That's cute. That's so adorable. adorable. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, that's where we're at now. Nice. And we, and uh, in fact, uh, I've had a CPA for the past several years and, and our business has continued to grow and expand. And we recently started working together. So I'm excited to connect with you and definitely have you on the show here. So let's first of all, let's start with this. Before we get into more of the tax stuff, one of the questions that we get a lot of times is about business entities. Should I be a sole proprietor? Should I be an LLC? Should I be one of these other acronyms or terms or phrases that I've heard before? So why don't you give us kind of a high level view? What's the differences and what should entrepreneurs and speakers, what should they be? Yeah. And this is a super important question for two reasons. One, legal liability and two, tax liability. And I'm not an attorney, so we're just going to stick to the tax liability today. But there's three main entities that I think most entrepreneurs should be choosing from. A sole proprietor, an LLC, or an S corporation. Right? Some people notice I left the C corporation off. I don't believe it's a good choice for 99% of small business owners. Someone's telling you it is, they're probably giving you bad information and want to make money off you. Okay, so we're going to talk about those three. So let's start with the sole proprietor, which is essentially no entity at all. It's essentially you and your business are one and the same. Okay, so you never went and registered with your state. You probably don't have a separate tax ID number. It's probably just running off of your social security number. And for some businesses, that's completely fine, especially if you don't have any legal concerns. What's going to happen is, let's just use round numbers here to make it simple. Your business brings in $150,000. You have $50,000 in expenses. So now you have $100,000 net income. That's what you're going to be taxed on. Okay. It's going to be just like you made that money personally. Right. So once people maybe step up a little bit, especially if they have a partner, maybe they have some legal concern, they go and form an LLC, a limited liability company. And the idea behind that is mostly for legal protection. What surprises people is when it comes to taxes, there's actually zero difference between a sole proprietor and an LLC. In fact, if you're the only owner in that LLC, the taxes work exactly the same way. They get reported on the same form. It's all done on your personal tax return. All taxes are paid personally. So in essence, your business owes zero taxes. What happens, once again, you make $150,000, you paid out $50,000 in expenses. The $100,000 net profit flows through to you personally. You pay the taxes on it. Gotcha. Okay. So here's the kicker with it. As both a sole proprietor and an LLC... Not only are you going to pay the ordinary taxes at whatever your ordinary tax rate is, they're also going to turn around and crush you with what they call self-employment tax. Mm, and this good is times. A, yeah. So this is an additional 15.3% tax on top of what you're already paying. Okay. So if you're doing some numbers in your head right now, that $100,000 net profit just incurred an additional $15,000 tax. Okay. So you're going to get crushed on that. The next level up and where you can finally start saving some taxes is an S corporation. Okay. It's going to work exactly the same way as the LLC. All that money is going to flow through to you personally. You're going to pay all the ordinary taxes on it, but you're not going to get hit with those self-employment taxes. Okay. So we're talking potential huge savings there. Right. Now, if if you're thinking that sounds too good to be true, you're partially right. right? (laughs) What the IRS is going to say is, okay, fine. You're going to save the 15% on self-employment taxes. We're going to make you take a salary on yourself 
And on that salary, you're going to pay payroll taxes, which is, guess what? 15.3%. Same as the self-employment taxes. Okay. So, but there is some savings there still, because what you're going to do is keep your salary as low as possible so that your tax savings come on the difference between those profits and your salary. Gotcha. All right. And there are some guidelines there. It's not like you can make your salary $10 and take the rest as distributions. All right. What they say is it has to be a reasonable salary. What we usually recommend I mean, it depends on a lot of factors, but a general guideline is 25 to 50% of whatever that net income line is. So if we go back to the $100,000 net income mark, maybe we make your salary $40,000. Now you're saving 15% on that $60,000 difference. Okay, gotcha. So still a pretty substantial tax savings at that level. Gotcha. Um, yeah. And the big question always then is, okay, fine, but what happens to the other $60,000? Now I can't take it out. The beautiful part of it is you can still take that out. It's what they call a tax-free distribution. You're still paying the taxes on it because you pay taxes on all profits, but you can take it out of the company and incur no additional taxes. Okay, so it's a pretty great system. And, and then we just ran through a bunch of numbers there, a lot of confusing stuff. Anything you want me to break down further? Yeah, gotcha. Okay, so let's back up a little bit. So we've got the, you said you get the sole proprietor, you got LLC, and then you've got the S-Corp. I personally have been and experienced all three. We're currently an S-Corp, but like you kind of alluded to. Well, actually, I'll get back to that in a second. But let's start first by, start by talking about the first two there, the sole proprietor and the LLC. So you said basically in terms of the taxes, there's not a lot of differences. I guess there's not really any differences tax-wise? Correct. Zero difference. So the only difference is going to come legally. So I know you're not a lawyer. I'm not a lawyer. We can't give legal advice, but what would be the nutshell legal differences between the two? Yeah. So essentially what an LLC does is separates you and the business. So a sole proprietor, you and the business are one and the same. A LLC, the general idea behind it is it creates a layer of separation. So if someone gets mad at you, someone tells you, Grant, that he gave horrible speaking advice and they got booed off the stage and they sue him, they're suing the LLC and not Grant. Gotcha. So they can't come after my home or my personal assets, basically. Yeah, that's the general idea behind it. An attorney will still tell you that there is dangers there. But generally speaking, that's the idea of it is to protect you there. Okay, gotcha. So what point then for an entrepreneur or a speaker in general, should we consider moving from a sole proprietor to an LLC? And what exactly would that entail? Yeah, so basically, if you have any legal concerns at all, it's time to start considering the LLC. Because as a sole proprietor, you have zero protection there. So if you're in a line of work where you think that could be an issue, time to start considering the LLC. What's in line with doing it? I mean, it it is something you could do yourself. There's tons of guidelines on the internet. I would certainly recommend hiring either an attorney or a CPA to set that up for you. But it's basically filing paperwork with your state and forming the LLC. Most states, we're talking 100, 200 bucks to pay their fees to do it. Some states like California, it's going to be significantly higher. But for the most part, we're not talking a, a huge sum of money. You're obviously, going to have to pay someone to do it for you if you go that route. But we're probably talking $1,000 or less altogether. Okay. So, and I think I remember when I first filed it in Missouri when I was living there at the time. Yeah, I remember filing it just through the state. And it was no more than just a couple hundred bucks. It didn't seem like it was that complicated. So I didn't, I know for me, I don't remember having an attorney involved with that. That was just, you know, filling out some documents online. And so it wasn't, this is subjective, but it wasn't that difficult if I remember right. Yeah. And I would say for a lot of people, that will be fine. If you're in a business that you think there's a significant legal concern, it probably would be worth it to have an attorney create an operating agreement and make sure you're completely protected there. Gotcha. Okay. So then at what point, 
if maybe people that are listening that are an LLC that they're considering, they're going, okay, I like the idea of saving 15.3% of my self-employment tax. So at what point should we consider switching from an LLC into an S-Corp? Is there a just a revenue threshold or what should be some of those benchmarks we should be looking for? This is a big question because you don't want to make this move too soon because there are expenses involved with maintaining that S-Corporation. The big one being putting yourself on payroll and paying a payroll company for that. Right. So our general guideline is once you hit $30,000 in net income, and again, by net income, we mean after all expenses are accounted for, once you hit that $30,000 level, it's time to start considering it. Once you hit 40000 it's probably time to put that into action. Okay. And so again, you said in terms of net income. So if I'm bringing in, you know, if my speaking business did $50,000 in gross revenue, I subtract out my expenses of $20,000, I'm left with $30,000 net, then I should start looking into it. Yep. Time to start considering it then. And you're probably pretty close to definitely wanting to make it happen. Okay. And so what is the process in terms of switching there? If I'm an LLC or a, a sole proprietor and I want to switch to an S Corp, what would that involve? Yeah. So the cool part is an S-Corp actually isn't an entity by itself. Basically, it's just a tax election. So you start out as either an LLC or a C-Corporation, and then you just file a form with the IRS saying, hey, I want you to tax me as an S-Corporation. So if you're a sole proprietor, the first step is forming the LLC. And that's actually, I should have mentioned that before, but that's also one reason I do recommend sole proprietors move into an LLC is because it creates that flexibility where you can go to the S-Corp at any time. Okay, so once you're the LLC, basically all it is is filing a form with the IRS, Form 2553, and saying, I now want you to tax me as an S-corporation. 2553, that, we all knew it was that form anyway. I mean, I we figured, yeah, I yeah just we knew exactly what you were talking about. Okay, so, so all right, so let's shift gears a little bit. And in fact, I did an episode recently, episode 38, where we talk a little bit about business structures and entities and kind of what my evolution was in business. So people can certainly go back and listen to that one. Although again, I (laughs) give plenty of disclaimers in that one and this one, I'm not a tax professional. So it's great to hear Josh and his perspective on this stuff, because I think that definitely will help. So, okay, let's talk about the tax side of it. So let's imagine, you know, I get this question a lot of, you know, I go do a speaking gig, I got paid $2,000. My travel expenses were $500. So I have $1,500 left over. What do I do now? Like, how do I figure <laughs> up taxes? And I just want to make sure that come April 15th or come quarterly taxes, and we can talk about quarterlies in a second, but whenever our taxes come due in whatever form, I want to make sure the money's there. So what do I do and how much should I set aside? How much do I owe? Yeah. So, and that's a tough question to answer because it's not like, contrary to popular belief, the tax code doesn't work like, okay, I made $200,000. That means all of my income's taxed in the 35% tax bracket. Yeah. You work your way up through the tax bracket. So your first, maybe 18,000 is taxed at 10%. Then your next, I'm just making these up, but 35,000 is taxed at 15%. So it's, it's tough to just say, okay, set 25% aside and you, you cover your taxes. Yeah. But that is a number I actually recommend. Start with 25%. And again, we're talking net income here. So after you factor in your expenses, that's what you're going to pay taxes on. So like in that example, so if I've got a $2,000 speaking check that comes in, I had $500 in travel expenses. Am I paying the 25% on the full 2000 or on the net 1500 On the net 1500 That's what you're going to pay taxes on. Gotcha. So in that case, we would be setting aside, what would that be, 375, I think, is if, if math is right. Uh, yep. So if I set aside that 375, do I just write a check or what happens from there? Yeah, so this is a big question too. So there's a couple different options. You can pay them all at the end of the year, which is not what the IRS wants you to do, generally speaking. If they say if you're going to owe over $1,000, they want you to pay estimated taxes. 
And there's a lot of confusion around estimated taxes. Most of the people I talk to that are just starting in this, they think that they're actually filing a tax return every quarter. Okay, All an estimated taxes is saying, hey, dear IRS, I made $10,000 this quarter. I anticipate owing $2,000. Here's my check for that amount, $2,000. Gotcha. Okay. All it is is sending them a check and a voucher. It's not filing any type of tax form. And I will tell you that you want to get into the habit of doing this, right? I've got these dates on my calendar every single quarter. What is it? It's January 15th, April 15th, June 15th, and September 15th? You got it. Yep. Yeah. So you want to etch those dates into your brain. I know for the way that we do it, and again, we talk about this. Actually, we did a tax episode back in episode 33. If you want to listen to that one again, 33, I'll walk through more in depth on my personal process of what we do. But basically, every other week, we'll take whatever revenue has come in from those past two weeks. We will subtract out any of the expenses like Josh was talking about there. And then on that net amount, like you said, we set aside 25%. And we put that actually for us personally, we put that in a separate tax savings account. And we literally call it the tax savings account. And so we put that money in there. So it's kind of out of sight, out of mind, because I found that that if the money's just sitting in my regular business checking account, it's just, I think of it as like, oh, there's money there. But I, I do not want to think of that that way. I want to make sure that this is, no, 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 this is, this is already set aside for the government. I'm going to be writing a check and I need that money there. So we put all that money in that tax savings account, that 25%. And then once a quarter, when that check comes due for paying your quarterlies, then we just transfer all the money back to our business checking account, basically drain that amount, write the check to the federal government there as our quarterly estimate. So would that be a fair way to do it? That's a perfect way to do it. It's exactly how I do it in my own business. I completely agree about putting it in a separate bank account. Uh, with any business, cash that's available tends to get spent, so make it unavailable. And I'm sure there's some people listening out there. I have a lot of clients that feel this way. They say, if the IRS isn't going to make it mandatory that I do this. I don't want the government having my money. I'll pay a little bit of a penalty not to do it. If that's you, still put this in a separate bank account. Yeah. Right? I see people all the time. We come to tax time. I tell them they owe $20,000 and they have nothing. Yep. Okay? So put that aside. It's a mandatory expense in your business. It never sees you personally. It goes right into account. Yeah. I would totally agree with that. That You don't want to get to a spot where it's like, well, you know, the money's come in today and I don't have to write the check for a couple months. So I'll spend it on something else and then I'll just make it up and set it aside somewhere else. No, no. Like you start to kill yourself cash flow wise. Just set that money aside. Just it's out of sight, out of mind. It is not there. And it is frustrating when you have to write that significant check come quarterly time. But you want to be in that spot so that you don't get to the end of the year and you're filing your taxes and you owe thousands or tens of thousands of dollars that you just don't have. So really uh, would totally echo that. Anything else that we need to talk about as it relates to just quarterlies and paying those estimated taxes? What about, let's talk about uh, state taxes. Do I need to do the same with state taxes on, on paying estimates there? Absolutely. The, the state taxes are a part of that as well. If you're going to owe them over $1,000, they're, they're going to want you to pay estimates. Do it the exact same way. You just write them. I mean, most states you're talking under 5%. So if, if you put that 25% aside, I usually include that as state taxes as well. Yep. If you're in a higher income state, maybe you're in California, maybe you set it aside 30% instead of 25. But yeah, you're just sending them that check every quarter or at the very least keeping it in a separate account ready to pay it at your end. Or you can do what I did and move to uh, Nashville, Tennessee, where they don't have state taxes here. 
However, they, the strategy. they do they do have a different self-employment business tax, basically. So it kind of cancels, cancels that out nonetheless. But anyway, so yeah, and, and obviously every state is different. So you want to make sure that you check with someone who is familiar in your state with what the state tax laws may be. And again, it's, it's going to be different state to state there. So, okay, so we've talked a little bit about paying those quarterlies. Let's talk about deductions in business. So being self-employed, I've heard that there are some things I can deduct, some things I can't. Again, there's a lot of, I guess, subjectivity to this. And and a lot of it depends on the industry, but let's just go over some high-level views of deductions. What's deductible? What's not for most entrepreneurs? Yeah. So here's the rule: if you follow this rule, you'll be 90% of the way there. If you spend money on something and you can prove that it either increased your income or decreased the expenses you spend in your business, there's a good chance we can deduct a portion, if not all of that. Okay. So if you live by just that rule, you'll be most of the way there. Gotcha. And this can include. This is what's so great about being an entrepreneur is that this can include personal expenses, expenses that were personal before you had a business. So like your cell phone, you had it before you had a business, you still use it personally, but it's absolutely necessary for your business probably. Right. So now we can deduct that in your business. Home internet, if you run an internet-based business, absolutely deductible whether you use it personally or business or both. Right. That's where you, I see people not taking advantage of things is they're not turning these personal expenses into business expenses. Even vacations, one of the best strategies we do for people is say, okay, you plan to go to San Diego, California for your vacation this summer. Why don't you look up a couple conferences while you're there that you have to attend there, and now a portion of your vacation becomes deductible. Right. And this is certainly isn't something where you want to push the rules and make up things that aren't actually happening. I mean, if you're going to do this, you're going to actually attend this conference and, and make it something that actually does help your business. But as long as you can answer that question I talked about and you can say, this gave me this idea, which improves my business, it's a very legit tax deduction. So you mentioned like cell phone, internet, what would be some other like really common ones that, what about even things like mileage and cars and gas, like how does that work? Yeah, absolutely. So your car can potentially become a tax deduction on what you're using it for business. So the big mistake there is uh, a lot of people think that if they have an office, they can deduct driving to and from the office. That portion is not deductible. But if you have to drive to a client's office, if you have to drive somewhere to, to pick up supplies, if you have to drive to meet someone at a restaurant, that is all tax deductible. Right. And there's two ways to do it. You can go the hard route of monitoring every single expense with your car, whether it's business or personal for the whole year, then you take the percentage-driven business versus personal, and then you take that percentage of the tax deduction. So you spend $10,000 on your car for the year, you drove it 30% for business, now you have a $3,000 tax deduction. If you're super organized and you're constantly keeping receipts, that could be a good way to do it. You may get a little bit more of a deduction. The easier way is to take the IRS standard mileage deduction, which in 2015 was 57.5 cents a mile. So if you drove 10,000 business miles, you have a $5,750 deduction from your taxes. Gotcha. And that's what I do personally. So I've got an app that I use on my phone. And I'm just getting in the habit of it. Uh, and I'm, in fact, before I had the app, I did it with a, you'd, you'd be impressed with this, Josh. I had a, like a spreadsheet I made, like a printed out one. So every time I'd get in the car, I'd write down the beginning mileage. And then when I got back, I'd write down the ending mileage. And so this works really, really well. Josh, like you kind of alluded to, of if you're going to, I do a bunch of lunch meetings with 
clients, potential clients, coworkers, colleagues type of stuff. And so if I'm going to a lunch like that, then I'm going to be writing that down. If I'm going to the bank to make a deposit, if I'm going to the post office to mail something. The other thing that's really, really valuable, especially with speakers, is if you're doing any type of speaking gigs that you are driving to those gigs, and especially if you are driving a long distance. So I know there have been times where I might go speak at something that I had a you know four or five hour drive. Well, that whole drive, that the, all the mileage there and home is all deductible. So you want to make sure that you are tracking that and that you're keeping good records on it. Yeah, absolutely. When it comes to any type of tax deduction, when it comes to the IRS in general, documentation is the biggest thing. We always say real estate, they always say location, location, location. When it comes to the IRS, it's always documentation, documentation, documentation. It just sounds harder to say though. Yeah, it does. doesn't roll off the tongue as easy. For us accountants, it's a phenomenal joke. We crack up. <laughs> it kills every time. All right. What about whenever it comes, we kind of touched on travel there just in terms of driving, but what about as speakers, we have a lot of travel involved, meaning airfare, rental cars, hotel, meals is done a little bit differently. So kind of talk us through that as it relates to travel for speakers. Yeah. So any travel you're doing directly for speaking is certainly 100% deductible. Flights, hotels, mileage any of that stuff. One important thing to note there is whether the company you're speaking for reimburses you or not. And just to give a brief overview on this, there's a few ways they can do that. If they reimburse you, they can record that reimbursement amount on your 1099, and then it's going to show as income, so you're going to have to turn around and deduct those expenses on your tax return. What a lot of them will do is just kind of as a reimbursement, not report it on your 1099, and now you're not going to be able to deduct that. Either way, it works out exactly the same, but you need to know ahead of time what they're doing so that you know what to do on your taxes. Does that make sense? Yeah, I think so. Gotcha. And you brought up a key thing there of just 1099s in general, that as speakers, whenever you are going to speak at a different organization, company, college, high school, whatever it may be, you are basically an independent contract. You're not an employee of them. So they're not sending you, what is it, a W-2 at the end of the year. Yep. They're sending you what's called a 1099 form saying that, you know, we hired Grant, we paid Grant X amount of dollars for his services. And so as a result of that, they're sending that 1099 to me. And they're also sending that to the government saying, this is how much we paid Grant. So make sure Grant files this on his taxes. And so what happens is as a speaker, as your speaking business grows, by the end of the year, you start getting a lot of 1099s. And so for us, we've had, you know, 30, 40, 50, 1099 some years that you're kind of accumulating of all these different organizations that you've worked with who's told the government individually, this is how much we paid to work with Grant. And so therefore, I have to make sure that that's all categorized and, and filed correctly. Yeah. Another important note on 1099s, especially if you are a sole proprietor or a, the only owner in an LLC, if they send you a 1099, you actually report that 1099 separately in your tax return. So where a lot of people run into problems is they'll report the income, but they don't actually show it as a 1099 received. So now the government sends you a nice notice saying, hey, you had this $30,000 1099 that you didn't include on your tax return, so please send us the $5,000 for that. And you say, yeah, but I did include the income. I just reported it on, directly on the business return which is fine, but now you're in a little bit of a battle with the IRS proving that that's what you did. Gotcha. So the 1099 is an important note. If you are an S corporation or an LLC with multiple owners, that's not as big of a deal because you don't report those 1099s directly. But as a sole proprietor or single member LLC, that's, it's a huge issue. Let's talk about this for a second. I remember hearing this a few years into speaking, and I've heard varying things from varying speakers and varying CPAs. But 
I've heard that whenever I go speak, so for example, right now I'm in Tennessee, and if I go to Ohio and I go speak in Ohio, that any income that was earned, any check that was received from speaking at that gig in Ohio, that I need to be paying state taxes to Ohio for that. Can you kind of talk us through that and how that works? Yeah, thanks for using Ohio. No one ever uses this example. <laughs> I, I was giving you a shout out there. All right. So yeah, so this actually is, like you said, a very confusing issue with a lot of different advice on it. Technically speaking, if where you perform the work is the state that considers that income taxable. Okay, so if you live in Tennessee, you come to Ohio, you do a speech here, Ohio says, hey, thanks, we'd like the taxes on that income now. Now, most states have a minimum threshold of what you have to actually file the tax return. A lot of them, it'll be your standard deduction, which is going to be around $6,000. Okay, so for a lot of states, if you didn't make over that $6,000, you're probably going to be fine. But not all states are like that. So that you can do one of two things. You can look into each state that you spoke in's actual rules, or you can just file in every state just to be safe. And I've seen people do it both ways. Either way is fine, as long as you're making sure you're covered for those states that you actually do have to report and pay in. I think this is where, once you get to this point where if you're speaking, when you're getting started, you probably are doing just a lot of local stuff. You're doing a lot of stuff in your home state. But when you start doing more states, I think this is definitely where it's worth getting a CPA involved. I know for us, the past couple of years, we've had to file state taxes in 25 states, something like that. And it becomes, it just becomes a lot. So a lot of those places, like you kind of alluded to there, Josh, like, we may not technically owe anything. We're just supposed to file just to say, hey, just heads up, we earned X amount in Ohio. And some places they do want a little cut of it. And sometimes it's a very small cut. So we just finished tax season here and at the time they're recording. And so we wrote probably 20 small checks. Most of them are under a hundred bucks. Some of them are a couple hundred bucks to all these states where we would have to owe individual amounts to states where we spoke in that state. So it can become a lot to keep track of. And I think that's definitely where you want to get a, a CPA or a tax professional involved with it. Yeah. And here's to add another layer of confusion with it. So you live in Tennessee and you pay those taxes to maybe Utah, but Tennessee says, Hey, wait a minute, your business still runs in Tennessee. So we need you to report that on your Tennessee return as well, but go ahead and take a credit for the taxes that you paid for Utah. So it's just, it's moving money all over the place, showing different credits and who paid what. And so, yeah, if if you're speaking in different States, hire someone to do this for you. Taxes is a necessary evil. And even though like, I'm a bit nerdy geeky, so I don't mind that I did my own taxes through TurboTax for years and I didn't mind doing it. But you do get to a point where it becomes very complicated and very confusing. And it's definitely good to have an expert like Josh on the team that can help you with that. So Josh, as we wrap up, any final words of wisdom, any other things we need to be aware of or considering whenever it comes to taxes and business entities in general? Yeah, I think the one thing we didn't really touch on is bookkeeping or record keeping. Yeah, that's true. Um, And I already said documentation is super important. And what a lot of people their first few years in business think is, okay, fine, I'll just tell my CPA I made $2,000 net income and that's what's reported. And it's not quite that simple. What you're going to actually have to do is tell the gross amount of money that you made and then break your expenses down by individual categories. So advertising, office expenses, meals and entertainment, travel, whatever. It has to be broken down by these categories. So... What a lot of people run into trouble is they get to March and they're about to file their taxes and they haven't done any of this. Now they have to go pour through 12 months worth of records and separate all of that into these various categories. Right. So one of the best things you can do for yourself early on is to get some type of accounting system, software, whatever you want to use it. If you want to use a spreadsheet and you're going to do all this on a spreadsheet, that's fantastic. If you have the discipline to do it, I even have a free spreadsheet on my website that you can download and use. But for most people, you're probably going to want to use some type of software. 
whether it's QuickBooks Online or Zero or any of the various ones out there, we're probably talking 30 bucks a month or less. What it's going to do is sync directly up to your bank account. And it's going to, every time you spend money or money comes in, it's going to automatically pull in there. All you're going to have to do is go in there and say, oh, this $250 was spent on a flight, so it gets coded to travel. Then at year end, you have a nice, neat profit and loss statement breaking this down for you in tax season pretty simple for you. Yeah, I would totally echo that, that you have to keep on top of these things, whether it be that you're syncing up with your bank accounts through some type of online tool, or you are manually entering it in some way that uh, you are always, always, always keeping track of these expenses. So that like Josh said, whenever it comes tax time, you're not scrambling and, and handing a, you know, a, a tax professional your shoebox of receipts that do not do that. That is a mess for you. It's a mess for them. And you just as the business owner, whether as a speaker or whatever, as the business owner, you have to keep track of your money. You have to keep track of what's coming in. You have to keep track of what's going out. And I've always been ridiculously anal on this stuff because Cash is the lifeblood of your business. So you have to watch this stuff. Plus, not only that, whenever you are keeping good records and you're keeping good track of it, and then whenever you start working with someone like Josh and say, just show him your books and you've got everything together, then you become a dream for him. And uh, he gets really excited about that. Yeah, absolutely. And we're, we're going to charge you less money to do them as well. Exactly. It makes it so much simpler for everyone. Just keep track of it. Do it as you go. Clean it up as you go. And so that you're, again, you're not creating this big mess that you're having to catch up with later. So awesome. Joshua, uh, if people want to find out more about you, what you're up to, where can we go? Yeah, go to my website, cpmfire.com. Or if they want to ask a few questions, they can always reach out, josh at cpmfire.com. Awesome. Well, we'll link up to all that in the show notes. So thanks for the time, buddy. Appreciate you. All right, there you go. Hope you enjoyed that conversation with Josh Bowerly. Again, you really got to pay attention to your taxes. That stuff can really like jack you up if you handle that in the wrong way. It can really mess you up financially. So make sure that you pay close attention to your taxes, that you're getting those things paid. In fact, at least here in the US, your that be second quarter estimates were due yesterday, I believe. Hope I sent mine in. Yeah, I did. So you want to make sure you stay on top of that stuff. So I hope today was uh, helpful and uh, encouraging for you. Hey, also... Let me remind you that if you do have other questions you'd like to have us answer on an upcoming episode, definitely feel free to uh, shoot us an email over at support at thespeakerlab.com, support at thespeakerlab.com, or feel free to leave us a voicemail by going over to thespeakerlab.com and going to the Ask Grant tab up at the top of the page there and uh, let us know what questions you've got, and uh, we'd love to be able to uh, help you out however we can. All right, my friend, that wraps up today's episode. We will catch you next time. You're awesome.